And the first day on the job, I sat down in uh, Eric Helen's office. And the one thing he told me is, look, if you get anything out of this experience, make sure that you have a philosophy. Brendan Ziegler, welcome to the Talking Shop podcast. How are you doing today? And tell me something good that's going on in your life. Oh, just uh, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, doing really well today. Uh, fast fantastic thing going on in my life is just the fact that, you know, I have the ability to make athletes better. Uh, enjoy my job. Uh, have a great family. Uh, blessed with a lot of things. So um, doing very well. Fantastic. Awesome vibes, sunny vibes on this uh, this Wednesday. So Brendan is the assistant director of Olympic sports performance at Northwestern in charge of mainly uh, men's basketball, but his his passion project is working with the fencing team too, for sure. Um, so Brendan and I got connected with a mutual connection a little bit while ago um, with a common interest of mine, a side project about some, some foot stuff, working with a, a podiatrist. And Brendan has been nice enough to uh, host me on campus, have a few phone calls, um, just be super open and honest about his journey and, and what he's got going on. And I've enjoyed our conversations and he has, he hasn't uh, blocked my number yet. So he's a uh, hopping on the podcast. So he spent, uh, this is year two at Northwestern, if I'm not mistaken. Second year. Correct. Second yep. year, 11 years at uh, Cal state Bakersfield, five at Oregon state, a few at Hawaii, a few at Wisconsin. And was the Chicago bulls your first, I know that was an internship. Was that your first coaching experience yeah, or was, was it something before that? <clears throat> I played football at a small school in Minnesota, Hamlin University. I did internships with our strength conditioning coach, Chris Hartman, up there. Um, but the Chicago Bulls was kind of my first one outside of my own college and university. So it was a big step in my career that really helped kind of shape, you know, my beliefs and philosophy and things like that. So what was it like uh, going from a small school in Minnesota to Al Vermeil? Well, it, it's, it was kind of amazing, like just, uh, you know, the facility, the knowledge, the, everything about it. I was ready to do an internship with an NFL team. Mm. And um, on a chance, someone said, hey, one of the assistants from my hometown is is with Al at the Chicago Bulls. And he's one of the strength conditioning coaches there. You should go check that crew out. So I was like, OK, I decided to check him out. And I was blown away by the knowledge, by the the way they did things, the facility. And, uh, you know, I jumped jumped right into that experience. And it was, like I said, such a impactful experience shaping my philosophy and and a lot of different methods that I use today. So Gee, sounds like I, I should have uh, gone to that school in Minnesota if you had NFL and NBA offers on the table. Well, one of them was because of my hometown, um, uh, but the other was because of, yeah, the, 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 the connections that Chris Hartman had at, at uh, Hamlin University. For sure. So one of the, uh, the, the top guys in the college basketball space, I've been blown away just by our little side conversations when I was shadowing uh, not too long ago and a, and a super nice guy as well. So that's kind of a, a little bit more kind of brief, brief background. Um, as well as he's a super competitive weightlifter. I know I, I asked your your PRs and kilos, and that threw me for a loop. But uh, for those that speak that language, want to toss out your best snatch and clean and jerk, and then we'll get this party started. I was I was average. Uh, my best snatch in competition was 140, and best clean and jerk was 180. Um, definitely can't do that anymore, but uh, that was my best at the time. So for sure. So um, I always say uh, my best bench is 225 for 10 when I did our. Uh, NFL combine draft uh plan for eight weeks, benching three days a week. 
And uh, it's not as high anymore, but uh, hey, I did it once, so that counts, right? Right, exactly. So uh, we will get into it. So what is the first kind of fork in the road moment? Looking back, if you had taken a left instead of a right, kind of this would all be different. You know, there there are so many that I could kind of point to that have shaped me. And uh, there there's a lot that have kind of created my career experience and made me who I am today. Um, but I'm going to go back to that original internship that really just set me up for success. And you know, the first day on the job, I sat down in uh, Eric Helen's office. And the one thing he told me is, look, if you get anything out of this experience, make sure that you have a philosophy. And if you have a philosophy, you can interpret new information because, you know, this field's always changing. There's always new things that come away from from a conference, from speaking with somebody and everything else. And if you have a philosophy, it can really help guide your continued education experience. And so you know that maybe there's a great method out there, but if it doesn't fit within the context of your philosophy and what you do, it may be not appropriate for you to use. Mm-hmm. And so I think that kept me pretty centered, pretty principled. Um, in addition to all the, just the great knowledge that um, they had, you know, from, from a weightlifting standpoint, they brought in the best weightlifters from a, from a sprinting perspective. They brought in the best sprint coaches at the time from injury prevention standpoint, they were able to bring in some of the best PTs at the time. And they just had this accumulation of knowledge that was tough and difficult to get at that time. You know, nowadays with the internet, you can look up just about everything. Um, but at the time that was, that was pretty difficult to do. And, you know, they're bringing in weightlifting coaches from Russia. They're bringing the best uh, Canadian U.S. sprint coaches and Charlie Francis and all these different people. And, and it was just kind of an amazing collection of information that they had and they were able to offer me. And I was smart enough not to screw it up. Like I just. It's a big part of it. Yeah. And, and it's amazing how many people went through those internships at that facility and decided eh, that wasn't really for them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just seeing the success that it had. Um, it was up to me to figure out how to implement it for my situation and my levels and things like that. And so um, it really taught you to be a coach first. You know, we are sports performance coaches and that coach piece is such a big part of what we do and, and being able to teach movement and be able to have progressions, be able to stratify different intensities and different complexities and things like that. And so, you know, I kind of got the cheat code right off the bat and uh you know, my, my career was much easier based on just that fork I chose, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, all Robert Frosty, you know, I, I always choose the path of less traveled and that's kind of made a lot of the difference. And I, I've done a lot of that in my careers, but that initial kind of decision to do my internship with Chicago was, was such a big one for my career. That's great. Yeah. I, I referenced the story a lot. Like it was freshman orientation of undergrad and you you've learned who the hard teachers are easy teachers and all this stuff and i just decided to always take the hard teacher dr bird and i took him every opportunity i could long story short that led to outside the classroom opportunities which led to him offering me a tcu full ride ga spot right away so it's one decision you know easy teacher hard teacher at orientation that four years later comes back so it is kind of crazy to to look back yeah, I knew I wanted to be a strength conditioning coach like my freshman year of high school. And really? So just, That's early. Did you have like a, a good high school strength coach or it's a very niche field? 
Yeah. So originally there was a, there was a website called allprotraining.com. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was kind of the advent of the internet and it had different strength conditioning coaches from, you know, NFL to NBA kind of post some programming and bits of information on this. And I was just fascinated with the training process. And then I went to a football camp and saw a strength conditioning coach give a presentation. I'm like, if that's a full-time job, that's the job. I that's want. it. So I yeah. Exactly. That's what I wanted to do. I uh, went to college my freshman year. I sat down with my academic advisor. I'm like, this is exactly what I want to do. And he's like, well, if you're not going to be teaching physical education, you should seriously think about majoring in pre-med as well. And so I had to take all the organic chemistry, oh, no. chemistries, everything else. So I took Jeez. it all. And I'm glad I did. Again, the, the road a little less traveled. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it kind of helps you learn what you're doing from a micro perspective and a macro perspective. There's such a spectrum in our field of, of kind of what's going on at all those different levels. And if you can kind of understand what covalent bonding is happening at a fascial level, you're probably a little bit better apt to teach somebody how to do a particular movement in the weight room. So, you know, it's just having a lot of breadth of knowledge throughout that spectrum, I think makes you a better coach. It's, it's interesting to look at it like that. Like, although I don't recite or quote my textbooks or classes, if I didn't have like, just knowing, just knowing the foundations just helps. You know, before the CSCS, when you needed a relevant degree, one of my old coworkers, uh, national champion D3 heptathlete, stellar athlete with an accounting degree. And we're like talking in staff meeting one day. And uh, I don't know why I got brought up, but it was just like rate coding or just something like that. And she she was like, what's that? I'm like, uh, it's just like kind of how muscles work. And we kind of explained, she's like, that sounds so cool. It's like, yeah, well, you learned that in like the first class you took, right? So you don't need it. But I feel like although you won't quote it, just knowing it, you can appreciate kind of everything else on top of it. Um, but going back to kind of the philosophy, um, as I actually had a, a call with Al Vermeer, it was kind of crazy. You know, Carl connected me with him and that's that's our connection. But with a philosophy, could you define what a philosophy is? Do you have yours off the top of your head? And is there like a formula or could you walk someone through how to put it on pen and paper, like to turn theirs into real life? Because we all have one. We just haven't put it concisely together. Yeah, I think like a philosophy is kind of a reductionist statement of the why. Why are you why are you doing what you're doing? And for me, it's pretty simple because I just stole it from from Al and, and Eric. You know, we want to make the best athlete possible and the best athlete that applies the shortest amount of force and absorbs the, the amount of force in the shortest period of time it is going to be better prepared. If you're able to sustain that throughout the course of a practice and a match, you know, you're better prepared. So, you know, I see my job is to introduce the forces that they're going to experience on the court, on the fencing strip, uh, on the field, uh, wherever the arena is. If I'm able to introduce those forces and give them the ability to apply and absorb those forces in a shorter period of time, I've created a better athlete. And, um, you know, my job is not to necessarily give them the skill work they need. You know, obviously I can't make them shoot better. I can't make them, um, you know, execute a particular play with, with more efficiency, but if I able to kind of own that physical preparation piece of giving them the hardware and horsepower to be able to push off the ground and, you know, in a basketball context, 
That's being able to sprint down the floor and dunk in transition, get your foot in the ground and get turn horizontal energy into vertical energy. It's being able for a big man to, to be at the top of the key and to be able to hedge a ball screen uh, for a point guard to be able to be at the top of the key and take that first step uh, without really having to telegraph what he's doing from a, from, from a scheme perspective and defensive perspective. So, if I'm able to give them those physical tools and enhance those tools, um, I really see that as my job. Now, you look at a lot of different other philosophies out there, and there's some great ones that really work just as well. Um, I've just found this one for me works extremely efficient. Um, it keeps me very centered, keeps me very principled uh, from getting too distracted from a lot of different things. So, With stuff like that, as, as I've done uh, some work with Jeremy Boone, um, as my mentor is gonna is basically his right hand guy and some leadership development courses and to to get my my phrase of helping athletes and coaches take control of their sports story, I think that's like seven iterations. So whether it's a philosophy for leadership or for coaching, that it's gonna take some time. It's gonna be awkward. That you're gonna stare at the a blank piece of paper for a, a little while. But you know, going back to the end goal of how effective and how simple. Um, but how guiding it is, I think, is is a huge lesson to to learn. So, so next, um, this is one of my my most favorite questions. What is the coolest, craziest story? So, like looking back, you know, of all the places you've been and all the years that you've had, uh, basically everywhere besides the the East Coast. Um, what is the one story that you look back? You're like, I can't, I can't believe that happened. Yeah. And again, I, there's a lot of those in, in college athletics. It's putting you in a position to meet some amazing people. It's putting you in a position to go to amazing places. And, uh, you know, that's a tough one because there's a lot of things that I've done, you know, being able to meet people like Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and the president of the United States and Bill Murray, Jeez. you know, I hung out with Bill Murray one time, but the one thing that I would say is just to me, the most amazing story is, all right. So I was a, I was at working at University of Hawaii. One of the sports I worked with was football. And we had a linebacker named Adam Leonard. And Adam was a very good linebacker, ended up playing a little bit with the Seahawks and then the Canadian Football League. And uh, when I moved to Oregon State, um, you know, I worked at football, but I, one of the, my, my other sport responsibilities was softball, which is how I met my wife, who was assistant coach. Now, one of the athletes, uh, her name was Tanya, Tatiana McElroy, was one of our pitchers. And so she was uh, from L.A. Adam was from Seattle. Well, uh, I found out through the Internet that Adam and Tatiana had dated and gotten gotten married. Now, here are two athletes from two entirely different places, uh, two athletes from entirely different schools that both shared me and the strength coach. And I kind of reached out to him. I'm like, I had no idea you guys were together. And they're like, well, one of the first things we talked about on our date was we both had you as a strength conditioning coach. Wow. And, and so here's a kid who played football, Hawaii, a, a woman that played at Oregon State that found each other in L.A. and Jeez. had a strength conditioning coach. So I thought that was kind of a just a unique, small world kind of story. Um, so that, that was the one that kind of stood out to me. Do I call you Cupid now? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, it's funny. A few times, kind of on this podcast, I think I'm getting up to uh, 160 episodes. That like athletes meeting or being invited to weddings has been like a common 
a common uh kind of cool or crazy story and i've had a lot that you know let's say i worked at cal state bakersfield i've had a lot that were athletes at the same school together you know um oregon state had a had a softball player and a basketball player that were at the same school together but to be from so far away i thought was pretty pretty unusual do you have a story about watching just the craziest athletic feat or um running into someone kind of unexpected or i guess what is what is one of the craziest kind of athletic things that you've seen especially in a sport kind of with some freaks like basketball uh, you know there's a lot of them um you know we had a, a basketball player at uh csub we had some amazing athletes at csub um but we had one that would do a hurdle drill in which he would do the high hurdles he would do just a, a high hurdle hop through we we're kind of doing like a tuck jump through and at the end of the hurdles you do a backflip oh my god it's a basketball player this isn't like a g- gymnast or you know sometimes you get a freak football player or track athlete or something like that this kid would do a backflip afterwards and we had a couple kids that could do that. That was that was pretty impressive. But I've seen a lot of uh, really impressive athletic feats. We had a six uh, nine basketball player who cleaned 160 kilos off the ground at Oregon State. Wow. Um, we had a football player at Oregon State who he ended up uh, uh, setting the NFL Combine bench press record at 49 reps. Oh, I've seen that video. Stephen Paya, yeah. So mm. around some amazing athletes. Mm. I'm sure the uh, the backflips, you give them a pretty good demonstration beforehand of what it should no, look like. No, break my neck. I would break my neck, yeah. When when that happens, uh, I would assume that they kind of just felt bouncy and did it. Are you like, hey, let's not do that? Or was it like, all right, good for you? Like, how do you, how do you it handle it? It was kind of one of those moments. It was kind of one of those moments like he nailed it. It wasn't like he was in any danger of missing it. And the entire team was excited. And it was kind of one of those moments where the energy is high. Everyone's cheering. And at that point, if I would have stepped in and like, don't ever do that again. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have kind of killed a little bit of the mood and things like that. And so he only yeah. did times and. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah oh, so, so he viewed, he viewed it as like just a one-time thing. Yeah, exactly. Po- popping off backflips every set. No, no, gotcha. not, no, not exactly. Yeah. That, I, I could only imagine how much that place must've been buzzing then. Oh yeah. And we had a, a really small space as well. So it's loud and everybody's excited. And so it was, a, it was a good environment. Very, very cool. All right. So last big question. So the story that you're most proud of. So uh, I like to also call this like the full circle moment. So one that probably took multiple, multiple years to look back where it's like, Oh, that happened how it should, or you didn't get the the feedback from that one athlete until years later. Or something that kind of took a, a while to ferment. Yeah, and, and just going back to my time in Bakersfield, obviously we had a great uh, season this year, and that was that was fantastic to be a part of here at Northwestern. Um, but when I first got to Bakersfield, it was um, it was in 2011. We were a very very low resourced institution. I mean, I showed up and uh, there was there was no equipment, there was no space, and anything else. And so it took a while to get everything established. It took a while to get a training culture established. And I would say I, I was maybe naive to the fact that I didn't think it would be that hard. And so it took a lot of grinding. It took a lot of hard conversations. It took a lot of tough days, um, but eventually had success there. 
and we had success in 2015, 2016. We won um, a volleyball championship. We won a men's basketball WAC championship. And then we won a softball WAC championship as well. Jeez. And that was five years realized in those moments of just absolute grind. And there were days where, you know, I had my doubts and I think everybody had their doubts. And it was just, that was the moment I think everything kind of came together like, all right, you can accomplish a lot and you can get over a lot of challenging situations. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, we were, we were a low resource institution. Um, we had a lot of different challenges from an athlete's perspective, from a lot of different things that happened. Um, had a lot of personal things that, that happened as well. You know, I, I got sick and got over cancer at the time. And um, to have that payoff in 2016 uh, was really impressive. And so from a, from a basketball perspective, we had uh, a guard named Dietrich Basil, and he had the game-winning shot over Pascal Siakam, who's an NBA all-star now, yeah. to bring us to the, the championship. And so that was that was a fun experience. And then in softball, you know, with my wife being the head coach in that same year, um, you know, we were 0-0 championship game. It was one of those, you know, bottom of the sixth, bottom of the seventh kind of moments when um, our player hit a home run, solo home run to win the game. And it was such a payoff for her as well, because she had lost her mother a couple oh. of years before to cancer. And she was the one that hit the the game winning home run to bust the game open and win us a championship. And, you know, she had her challenges as well. And it was just such a great year and time for that payoff to happen. Mm -hmm. Because like I said, it was a challenge. It was, it was one of those deals where, you know, I wasn't sure if, if, if we could turn that place around and get that place viable because it had just transitioned from division two to division one. And at the time it was not well equipped to handle that. So we had great staff coaches were great. Um, we had good alignment across the board. And finally, after some time and grinding away and getting knocked down, we, we finally were able to accomplish a lot. So how can you not be romantic about sports? Jeez. Yeah, there's there's just some amazing moments that happen. And, you know, the, the one thing that you know, I always tell athletes is, you know, let's not get too high and let's not get too low because mm -hmm. it's easy to get, you know, that Icarus where you get swallowed into the sea or you get too high and, mm -hmm. and your wings get melted. So, you know, if you can stay the middle ground and if you can keep grinding away uh, and stay at it long enough, good things are going to happen. You remember that moment, whether it was like the last session of the academic year or just like walking into your house, just like putting your bag down, it all just like hit you at the end of the, that year. Yeah, there, there was probably two moments of that. There was, you know, our getting back home from that WAC championship in basketball was really one of those deals like, oh, this is amazing. And then there was a, a moment right after that, like softball game where, again, my wife's team had, had won the championship and, you know, we're on the field afterwards as a family. And, uh, you know, my between my wife, my son and, and my mother and father-in-law helped out a ton with you know, field maintenance and everything else. So um, there was just a moment on there that was just kind of like, you know, this is what we did it for. Mm -hmm. So very, very cool. Yeah. And then uh, last kind of follow up on that. Um, however much details you'd like to share, but um, I did not know that that you had cancer. Um, 
if you could uh, share kind of a little bit about that as I would assume that that's a, a big moment just for yourself. Yeah. And the first time I, I had it, um, it was 2013. I first started getting some symptoms and uh, I was misdiagnosed for almost a year. Oh, geez. And so I had lost 50 pounds. I had night sweats. They kept telling me I had mono. And uh, I, I was running just temple runs on the, the soccer field with, with a team. And I, I couldn't even yell out names or times and names and things like that. So I went to a pulmonologist and he's like, yeah, he's like, you, you have cancer. He's like, I'm guaranteeing you have it. And it was a misdiagnosed scan that really helped perpetuate that misdiagnosis. Mm -hmm. And so um, I went through the chemotherapy and didn't miss a day work. Um, wow. I had a, a conversation with, with the time, Chris Carlisle, who was with the Seattle Seahawks, he really provided some great advice. And he said, look, he's like, this is your cross to bear. He's like, the last thing you want to do is turn your couch into a black hole because it will eat you and swallow you up. He's like, you keep going, you drink a ton of water, you stay as physically active as you can, and you work as long as you can. He's like, because that's what I did, and I got through it fine. And so that's exactly what I did. And uh, kept lifting. I, I, I contacted somebody at uh, USA Weightlifting. I think I snatched 127 kilos on chemo. Jeez. Six months, so... I'm like, is that a chemo world record? And they're like, we'll <laughs> give it to you. We'll give it to you. Um, so that was good. And then later on, uh, I noticed a little lump on the side of my neck mm. and uh, was a little concerned about it. So I went to my doctor right away and he's like, yeah, it's probably nothing, but let's get it checked out. He got it checked out and he's like, ah, he's like, I don't like it, but still probably nothing. So they sent me down to UCLA and UCLA is like, doctor's like, you know, why, why are you here? I'm like, well, I got this little lump on my neck. And he's like, no, no, no. Why are you here? I'm like, well, my doctor referred me. He's like, no, why are you here? And I'm like, I don't know what you're getting at. He goes, you're here because I'm the best. <laughs> and I was like, oh, geez, this is this is interesting. This is interesting. That's how this is going to go. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and so he's like, look, he's like, I don't really trust that diagnosis. We're going to go in and we're going to do a prodotectomy, which basically means they cut you from the top of your ear down to your collarbone, take half your face off take this saliva gland out basically. So they did that. And he's like, yeah, he's like, that was a tumor like we've never seen before. So they got it biopsied and it was a neuroendocrine cancer of the parotid gland. Jeez. And I think I was probably, there, there's probably less than 10 people who've ever had this thing. So unfortunately I was one of them. Uh, so went through the chemo and radiation, but you know, thank God I'm, I'm fine today. So. Yes. Yes. Thank God. That's crazy. So, uh, so, uh, I'm talking about someone famous, someone unique, very cool. Yeah. The doctor sat down and the first thing he said is he goes, you are the unicorn of people. He goes, cause, cause the first thing he said before the surgery was, you know, this, this thing could be unicorn, but I, I don't, I don't think so. He sat down and he's like, yeah, he's Jeez. like, that's. I don't think I've ever, I've ever talked about this actually on TSP, but I actually have a genetic. I get like cartilage bumps on my hands and uh, hands and feet. I've had 14 surgeries and there's really, yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to, to show you all that stuff later. 14. Cause they kind of grew as I grew. So I had yeah. one every year till I was 13 and then one when I was 17. Um, there's not, it's called metachondromatosis. A metachondroma is just like a cartilage kind of growth. Yeah. And there's not too much out there on it. 
Wikipedia for how legit that is says there's been like 40 cases or less of that. Um, and I've never met anyone with it. So uh, crazy. I, I guess yeah. uh, this is a. Hmm? Well, and the other thing, too, is that that's just like testament to the human resiliency. Wild. Yeah. And it's amazing. You know, unfortunately, you watch in, in chemo because chemo, you do a whole room together with a bunch of people. Hmm. And you get to see a very myriad of responses to the challenges that you know, life and health throw at you. And uh, you get to see people who deal with it in stride like like you have and like like I have. And and you see some people that just they get caught up in little details. They let the little things ruin their day. Hmm. As a result, it spills over in everything they do. And the next thing you know, they're they're in trouble because of it. Hmm. So, um yeah, just a testament to the human spirit and what we're all capable of and what we can get through. Yeah, for sure. And looking back, it's never really like crossed my mind of like, why me? Um, I think maybe I just like the attention of like having my casts on after a surgery. But I think my parents did a good job of like, not making it that big a deal. If I yeah, had to I look think, back. Yeah, I think as soon as you ask why me, mm. I think you set yourself up for a lot of failure. Mm. You know, Again, this is this is kind of an individual cross to carry and like, I would rather go through it rather than my wife or my son or anybody, my loved ones. So mm -hmm. like, uh, I, th I feel like I'm pretty equipped to handle that as weird as that sounds. Um, but yeah, I think as long as you're not letting it like affect what you do on a day-to-day -day basis, you can kind of compartmentalize it to what it is. You're going to be much more successful because of it. So very, very cool story. Um, thank you for kind of sharing all, all the details. Um, something I, I didn't know, but um, has has helped make you kind of who you are now. So um, that is it. You made it through the gauntlet. Appreciate your your time and everything. Um, dropping dropping some bombs for sure. But uh, where can the listeners get more of Coach Ziegler? Uh, I am not on any social media. So probably the easiest way to get a hold of me is email. Uh, my email address is brendon, B-R-E-N-D-O-N dot Ziegler, Z-I-E-G-L-E-R at northwestern.edu. Um, if you have any training questions or talking shop, uh, that would be a great way to, to contact me. Awesome. So thank you very much for your time. That'll be in the show notes. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking soon. All right. Thanks, Matt.